All right. Hello. We are back. This is the Speaking Generally podcast. No, your ears are not deceiving you. It is the grand return from the previous unknown here, unknown previously to us season finale. Um, <laughs> so here we are, George. What's what's going on? You calling that? You calling that hum, hunk of rubbish a season finale? Whatever that was, it was very much the curtain closing on that <laughs> chapter of the Speaking Generally podcast, and we're the sun is dawning on a bright new era. Um, I suppose we should explain where we've been. Uh, a lot's been happening in our lives. Uh, George and I were kind of separated for a while through there was COVID, there was stuff going on in our own lives. We were busy boys and things were happening. And so the podcast took a sort of informal hiatus. But September's here and a new we said, and we said, we said, let's turn over this leaf one more time and give her another spin. So, uh, yes. Um, a one desperate, big a event desperate last go with the defibrillators, Steve. A final, yeah, let's just see if there's any pulse left on this, uh, on this thing still. So we had one, one, one big piece of news, George, and I'm not going to embarrass you too much, but um, George is now betrothed officially. So we had we got, the wedding. We got married, didn't we? We got married. Uh, hold on, do I hear the... What's that? There it goes. Is that Custer? <laughs> ah, glorious day. <laughs> so that was Horribly the news. Self-indulgent George. podcasting. <laughs> that was the news. George. George had his big wedding. He uh, turned Elizabeth into a missus, and he's a married man, bachelor no more. So. It's old single Steve and <laughs> single Steve and coupled up George. Chad, do you feel, buddy? Yeah, to clarify, we didn't marry each other. That can't, um, cannot emphasize that enough. Um, no, we didn't. Um, I was, I was the best man, and uh, George was the better man. And <laughs> yeah. we had a lovely, we had a lovely day in Oxford. Uh, a small sort of COVID-proof wedding. Um, yeah, all the, uh, all, the um, all of the universe's signs were really sort of indicating that we shouldn't have gone through with it. But you know, anything that could happen and go wrong did go wrong. But um, got got her to the altar, kicking and screaming in the end. So here we are. You made it happen. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so uh, so that's a bright spot in 2020. And that if you you know George in a year where. In, in many ways, lots has happened and very little has happened. Sort of lots has happened on a world scale. Maybe personally, you could say events have been rather slow and repetitive. But that was sort of the bright, that was the bright spot. In, in a, that's a pin in my calendar for big moment that's of nice. 2020. It certainly um, was. It was, uh, was a lovely day against all odds. Uh, and many different things conspiring against us. So very happy to have gotten it over the line. Well aware how hard it's been for everyone at this, well, this year really trying to get any kind of 
milestone event done wedding you know wedding funeral christening anything like that getting people together particularly in the UK it's been a nightmare I'm sure it is in lots of the places where our listeners are as well so yeah getting getting it done actually did feel like a an achievement in of itself just in terms of planning and logistics during covid let alone it being a significant milestone in in of its own right so yeah very uh, very happy and uh for the two of us personally my wife and i steve not you and i it um yeah. it allows us to move on with our i think we talked about it in our in our earlier season that we are due to be moving over to the us and that's um now very viable now that now that we are hitched with visas and things fingers crossed so yeah onwards onwards and upwards for us steve it's uh, it's an exciting time as you can hear in my voice <laughs> um yeah the uh the young couple are, are pushing off from uh is it two plymouth rock is it four <laughs> where did they <laughs> very much pushing off on the mayflower headed to the new world and uh yeah i guess there'll be there'll be some new chapters we'll be doing from america at some some point in the near future hopefully i hope so i mean it's a place you you often find yourself it's not really possible with travel at the moment so looking forward to us being able to reconnect over there we're currently not in the same place i'm in denmark again you're still in the uk in the in the bowels of london i understand steve Yes, I made my way back into the big smoke. I, uh, <laughs> the ripper returns. Again, a thing of like putting pins in your calendar, right? It was like the beginning of the year. We had that excitement when I was in Japan and stuff. And then COVID hit, everything crazy. And then I was sort of home. And then I, I feel like there's just just some indeterminate amount of time passed where it's just, if you, if you sort of had the memory book, there's just me at home with my parents for about six months and then it was like okay I think I need something different to happen now so my brother and I looked at each other at one point and we were like let's get the hell out of here and (laughs) enough decided to head up to London (laughs) yeah it was sort of that moment it had just been a bit too much and it was um yeah it was time so we got an Airbnb We've hunkered down in an undisclosed location in Islington, and That's uh, fairly specific. And it's well, it's a big borough, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, and it's been lovely. It's you know, I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast before, George, but I'm a big believer in in chapters in your life, not okay. not in a you know only okay. only looking backwards, you know as. As Kierkegaard, uh, your wife of whom is a great scholar uh, of, uh, Kierkegaard once observed, life has to be lived forwards and it can only be reviewed backwards. But I do believe in the reviewing backwards, there's something nice about having determinate full stops on certain periods and then a new period happens because I feel like it, it kind of increases the amount of memories you have and you have more things to look back on. So basically... I thought I don't want to see out the entire year here at home in Essex because the entire year is just going to be that blur of time. So coming to London is very much me definitively, um, you like that idea? Yeah, it's a good way as much for the memories, as you said, but also just kind of uh, segmenting up your use of energy, right? Like, okay, this is all done. I'll be in America soon and I'll be able to kind of hit the ground running again. Like drawing that line under it does... um, 
it helps you yeah apply yeah apply a new start when maybe there isn't technically a new one it gives you a yeah it gives you a renewed sense of impetus and i think that particularly in a year like this that's a smart way to do things yeah that's exactly it i i'm a big believer that i think there's someone who said that a change is as good as a rest or change can be as good as a rest. I think that was one of the old wives said that. The old wives. <laughs> and, uh, it does sound like a sort of Puritan type thing to say, but um, yeah, just, just, just like shaking it up now and then and deciding to do something different. I do feel gives you a, a, a just some excuse to reinvigorate, to, decide some new plans to kind of put some new things in motion and i think it also works without needing huge upheaval right i think you can very clearly just draw a line under it and say okay it's autumn it's been a difficult summer this is me i'm starting again you don't need to be moving continent or getting a new job it's just a state of mind shift right and that's quite a nice weapon to have yeah, I felt I felt like I wanted to take a bit of control back to to quote a, to quote a campaign, take back control. I wanted to take back control of tw- just the last part of the year, and I thought I'm, yeah. you know, I want to make some decisions here. I'm gonna go to London. I'm gonna get a place. I'm gonna enjoy actually being in the city, and the city seems to have come alive a bit again, which. I was quite yeah, what's your what's your boots on the ground kind of COVID take on things? Is it does it feel safe to be out and about in London? Does it feel a bit risky? Do you feel relaxed? Do you feel on edge? How how are things looking? Yeah, well, I have to say, from looking outside when I was home in sort of more rural Essex, I thought London was going to be more of a more of a ghost town, and I thought just the image I had was like the streets have been emptied and you know, nothing's quite working. And actually I came back probably, but probably in the last, you know, month or two, people have sort of felt a bit more optimistic. And yeah, just getting back a few weeks ago, I thought, oh, wow, I'm surprised how much is actually going on now. Like you go to some popular parts of town, parts of Islington, parts of Soho, and uh, if you're there on the right evening, you think, oh, this thing's over. Like people are acting like it. They're just... Mm. They're in restaurants that are fairly small. They don't look that socially distanced. They're, you know, doing the London thing where they stand outside pubs and drinking and but but cocktail bars have people inside and you know, they say, Oh, we've got no tables because the government here are doing this whole thing where they subsidize some of people's meals to encourage them to eat out. So there's kind of yeah, some days you go, Oh, this feels like it just feels like collectively people have decided they're done with this. Now, of course, that's only a part of the country and it's, you know, maybe maybe a particular demographic of people who feel more, like, emboldened because they're less at risk. And th- But I feel like there's definitely a collective of the population who seem to have felt like they're sort of over it in a way. And, and that may be for the worse. We may find out yeah. that's a terrible... They're making a terrible mistake. We don't... It's kind of really hard to say, Um some people are predicting. I, you know, I have a friend who we have a friend George who works on the uh, inner workings of government, and he says they're prepared for a second wave uh, in the winter. And you know, there seems to be less optimism there. I so, suppose they have to prepare for that, regardless, don't they? But uh, yeah, yeah. But but some people seem to be fairly confident in that. So I, I really don't know. But it was. It does. You, you, the only thing, the thing you do see is a lot more like. You walk into sandwich shops, you walk into coffee shops, 
people wear the masks. People are expected to wear the masks if you go in clothes shops and things like that. It's kind of like socially frowned upon if you don't. It's not yeah. heavily enforced, but but it's it's kind of heavily encouraged you do do it. And uh, yeah, it's... Um, so yeah, it's different, but I am surprised how much things... By this point, I didn't think it would be quite up and running as much as it has gotten to. Um, I went to the cinema for the first time since COVID started the how other day. Uh, weird. Like there was, there was definitely more uh, protocol and there was an expectation like you have to be asked to all... When the film finishes they ask certain rows to leave one by one and stuff. So, and do you sit in the household so you could go with your whole family and sit together, could you? Yeah, you can, yeah. Um, like, they, they, people seem to separate out a bit, but still not, again, not as much as I thought. They're still serving the food, still getting popcorn and stuff. So some people, wore, some people wore masks through the whole film, but some people didn't. Um, Did you not, were you not told that you had to? No, no. Interesting, okay. I mean, how do you eat your popcorn, George? Oh, good point. But, you know, in a, on a plane, for example, when we flew over to Denmark, you have to wear the mask for the whole flight, but obviously you take the mask off while you're eating or drinking and then put it back on. But I suppose if you're munching your way through about 15 litres of popcorn, the mask has to stay off, doesn't it? Oh, I will say at this point, George is against eating in the cinema, I think. That's Who, a point, point of contention be? between us, because I... I really like to load up on snacks. Oh, you know what? While we're so, in a restaurant, I'll just pop a film on, shall I? <laughs> you must really resent when we go to cinema. Yeah, I do. I'm furious. furious about it. A lot of food. <laughs> it's weird because you're a big... You are a man who enjoys his food, so it is Come surprising on. that Come there on. you have the... Well, no, you'd say yourself, you... <laughs> Trencherman. You know, <laughs> you're a man... You enjoy, you enjoy food, and we both do, but... There, it's quite strange there you sort of really have a sort of observation of a, a, a code. I enjoy food, but I hate noise and background noise um, and anything that breaks the concentration of a film. I kind of understand it with a big blockbuster with tons of stuff exploding the whole time, but, you know, still, just have full attention and silence, please. Please. I always, I always, I always feel much worse if I'm in like a period drama with <laughs> yeah, <popcorn>. exactly. <laughs> yeah. If there's like a sort of stately drawing room, yeah, in a real a tense courtroom drama, uh, <laughs> it feels weird just to be really, really noshing away on <laughs> sweets and popcorn. Yeah. Um, well, quickly, Steve, um, at the cinema before we, um, before we. Well, I saw I saw Tenet, but I feel like I saw Tenet, but I feel like if you haven't seen it, we probably just should hold off discussing it. Okay, good. I think I'll be seeing it this weekend in a cinema in Denmark. Uh, I think there is there's one IMAX here, so I'm going to seek that out. Did you see it, see it on an IMAX screen? Um, I did see it on an IMAX. I okay. saw it on the big London EFI one. Amazing. Okay, well we'll we'll um, talk about that after I've seen it. We'll talk about that privately. Yeah, that doesn't uh, even have to be on a podcast. No, it doesn't, but we'll we'll share it for people. <laughs> sure. Um But London uh, London so, feels um, like buzzing again then. It's got it's got a thumbs up from me, George. Um yeah, it's like it, it's it's like I've got my social life back as well because <laughs> there's actually friends around. I forgot how many friends are actually around here. Um, you know, been seeing people and yeah, it was very, you know, like for the long summer we've had where I've been 
sort of doing this sort of very repetitive daily routine, it sort of feels like I'm on a weird vacation now where I am. It was very weird going, just even going to a restaurant for the first time properly. Uh, it was a very odd experience actually. Yeah. Uh, and felt kind of exciting and sort of giddy. It was, it was, it was strange. Yeah. I, so I came to Denmark um, in really early August. That was the first time I'd been anywhere else really apart from my mum's my house and Oxford. Oxford's been very quiet in England because there haven't been any students, there haven't been any tourists, and there haven't been any of the summer school students either. So that has felt relatively like a ghost town because the summer is probably the busiest time. That's all been very quiet. So that has felt strange. And then coming to Denmark in early August, you know, wearing the mask on the plane, the airport this side in or in the UK was dead. It was very efficient and quick and the flight was early. Got to Denmark, wore the mask through the airport to outside. And then I was there for 10 days and didn't see another mask. It was a very different experience being in a country where not that they're not taking it seriously, just that the numbers are down in such a state that people don't have to be as mindful as we had been earlier in the year in the UK. And um, it was really quite liberating to just see people, you know, cozying up. It was really lovely weather. There were thousands of people sat on the waterfront in the harbour. I think nightclubs have been open here throughout. They close a little bit earlier than normal, you know, but Otherwise, everything's almost exactly the same as it was. I think there's a bit of encouragement now to wear masks during rush hour on the train, but it's advisory rather than a rule. Um, yeah, and it was it was really bizarre coming from one setup to see that one. Um, yeah, interesting. But a nightclub, um, a nightclub shocks me. Yeah, why would you be going uh, to like not not because people are. Yeah, yeah, almost. Just, people, COVID's just I guess, a great excuse to not have to go to a nightclub. Let's be honest. <laughs> well, he, that that is the one thing where even in London right now, I'm I'm struggling to conceive. Obviously, for the last decade, people have said like the nightlife is dying, right? Just because, in general, uh, many trends have led towards more people doing stuff at home, less people spending money out on things like that. So, nightclubs have been a kind of industry in decline anyway yeah. but it feels now it feels it's getting even harder to imagine like it's, i'm forgetting those things existed where it's like oh yeah, yeah there is a thing where you can go with all these other sweaty bodies and dance <laughs> and that, that does seem like a weird idea now of, of purposely getting people in a very enclosed sort of you know hot sweaty space to be for sure gyrating against each other. i mean one of the sort of fairly frivolous upsides of it that i'd certainly noticed more in oxford maybe it's probably the case in london as well is because the the city's a lot quieter they've been able to close off quite a lot of the streets to traffic and lots of the restaurants are now serving food outside because i guess they don't have the spacing capacity inside so there's suddenly all these like lovely alfresco spots in oxford that you know, it really changes the vibe of the city, being able to sit out on the old kind of cobbled streets and have a coffee. You'd never be able to do that normally. And that's, um, yeah, like a rare treat. I think you should sort of drink that in while you've got the opportunity. Um, but I don't, I, yeah, yeah, that won't last forever. May I say, being back in Oxford with all of you, George, gave me a very okay. powerful... So all all of you am, people. How big am I? <laughs> <laughs> with all of you all every pound of you um <laughs> it was uh 
Yeah, it was, I had a very powerful sense of nostalgia. And as I was getting the train away from the weekend we spent at your wedding, I, I did have this weird pang of nostalgic sadness for the sort of, you know, speaking of chapters in our lives, it was like, you know, the Oxford chapter had already ended, but there was something about that that was almost this closure to, you know, you met your wife at Oxford and you came you know, I was there, you came to Oxford and there was the closure. You got married and we almost have said goodbye (laughs) to it now. We sort of don't have ties back to that city now that she You were there for what, eight uh, eight years? uh, No, I was there for about, I was there for about five-ish, five-ish years. Yes, Elizabeth was Um, there for all in all, I think nearly eight years and although I left sort of officially six years ago, she's obviously been living there and it's had lots of friends there. It's been a big, yeah, big pull. And you're completely right with that chapter thing. I've, I felt like I've been in a sort of half chapter with Oxford for the last five or six years, you know, going back and forth. But now that we're moving away, it does feel like a line has been drawn under a a very significant place for, for me and for you and for lots of our peers over the last decade. So that's uh, interesting to see what, what will come next. Yeah, um, we had our London years together, and may, maybe, yeah, maybe our uh, maybe our American years are just beginning, George. <laughs> maybe. What do you think? A couple of pioneers <laughs> having a plate of ribs and a glass of milk in the saloon. What have you been watching? <laughs> There's a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of Bugs Bunny uh, westerns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of Yosemite Sam. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, yeah. I, oh, yeah. So I hope we can get back to America. I hope that um, I hope that we can cross borders again because uh, it would be nice to, you know, that that was the grand plan this year. For those of you who haven't sort of followed the last forty episodes of the podcast. You know that was that was the thing I was doing, wasn't it? As I was I was hopping around a lot last year, and the plan was just to keep that up and hop around the world again this year. That obviously the plan changed somewhat, but um, but it might be nice if uh, probably won't be as much globe hopping, but it'd be nice maybe to choose somewhere to plant myself for a yeah. while next year if uh, if COVID abates a bit and can uh, you know maybe get myself back to Asia for a lovely sojourn. Oh. Come our, come our way, Steve. Because otherwise the time difference would be very difficult to get the old podcast to work. I'll come your way first when they allow, and then we'll see where that goes. Sure. Um, so COVID, George, have you been, you know, well, we're not going to talk about COVID itself more, but the th- things you've been doing, have you been, have you been scouring the Amazons, the YouTubes, the Netflixes? Yeah, I've, I've certainly the Disney pl- The Disney Pluses. Less so Disney Plus. I've certainly helped Amazon's share, pl- share price inflate further. Um, they've, prov- <laughs> they've become a fabulous utility. Um, that's really Good year for Jeff Bezos. Yeah, he's had a great one. Um, yeah, and thank God for that because, yeah, air, air dropping books in like nobody's business has certainly kept me, kept me going. Um, yeah, I've... You know, things don't things don't change that much for me. I sit at home, I work from home, I read a lot. My life sounds like a COVID lockdown most of the time anyway. So, you know, I've been able to maintain throughout. I think it's probably the same for you. 
Yeah, I've been uh, I've I've cruised a lot more Amazon Prime than Netflix. I keep I keep mm. finding myself switching away from Netflix when I I just have a scan around and just don't really fancy it very much. And then Amazon Prime, I end up doing that thing of I'm subscribed to Amazon Prime, so I do watch some of the free stuff. But then I end up renting a lot of films on there. Yeah, they have like, a lot of the good like, libraries, don't they? Yeah, and it's like, oh, it's it's two or three quid. I'll rent that. But obviously, you add those up, that ends up, you know, you're paying. But how much, if I, if I wanted to watch Mulan or Mulan tonight, Steve, how much would Disney Plus charge me for the privilege? Well, you, that's well, that's the trick. You'd have to be subscribed to Disney Plus, wouldn't you? Well, you have to be subscribed, and then you have to pay for the film on top, right? On Disney, do you have to do that? I think you do for Mulan, because it was supposed to be in the cinema. Oh, that seems... It's not see, just been lumped very... in. I'm, I'm fairly sure. I'm going to Google that while we're... See, that, that, that would seem cheeky on the Disney Plus front. Because that oh, seems to be... Because it wasn't intentionally a Disney Plus release, was it? Uh, uh, maybe, yeah. Uh, uh, it's 19.99, Steve. Really? So you're doing yeah. that on top of your Disney For just Plus? the one film, yeah. A film that's been very poorly reviewed because it's an entirely boring lack of creativity to just make a real life version of an old cartoon. Um, <laughs> I haven't actually read any stuff about it. Are they, is it, is it really getting it's just sort of soulless? Apparently it's um, yeah, just a soulless remake looks a bit like a, you know, looks a bit like hero, but with the plot of Mulan, no dragon, no songs. Um, really? I think it's quite, yeah, I think it's quite po-faced. Um, Oh, yeah. that sounds terrible. Why, why bother? Um, but just the whole re- remaking live action versions of a lot of nostalgic hits from the early 90s is a very exploitative thing. I've read a couple of articles also that suggested Disney were doing it. Maybe we've talked about this before, because if they make live action versions of films that were originally animated, they no longer have to pay residual payments to the original animators in the same way that they otherwise would. So there's an element of... Um, quite you know self-involved longevity and protection of their expenses by doing so so uh but then is the hope that the live action ones would trump the cartoon like people would rather watch them well i'm sure they've hoped for that but it's not going to work is it if you're if you're hitching your wagon to nostalgia you're not going to trump the nostalgic childhood feeling with a glossy modern version however much beyonce's in it or you know whoever else is in it so yeah a very sort of cynical cynical move from the house of mouse in my opinion but um yeah (laughs) um have you seen any of the live remakes of their films i've barely seen the cartoon so i'm not the person to be talking about it to be honest but well yeah i mean i mean terribly i've i've seen most of them and um I, i think i stopped around the one of the more recent ones I didn't bother with. Uh, I did. I didn't bother with the Tim Burton Dumbo because I mean I I found I find Tim Burton insufferable these days anyway. But uh, and Dumbo, it's always been a bit of a. Some people have affection for it. It's always been a bit of a boring one in my view. But um, yeah, I, I saw the Beauty and the Beast one. I saw the Lion King one. I saw the Jungle Book one. They they're all like they all are kind of. I mean, they feel glossy. They do feel like glossy cash grabs. Um, well, they, exactly that. They, they're, it's a weird thing, that transference of medium thing, where there's just, you know, like some idea that people have where like, yeah, people do it with novels, don't they? Where they think, 
oh, imagine that novel as a film. And you're like, well, it's already a thing. Like, you don't, is yeah. it going to be better as a film? You kind of imagine it, well, not as a film, but you imagine it while you're reading it. Why do you need someone else's imagination to kind of codify that for you? Yeah, it's like, yeah. And, and, and people, you know, people are always like, why can't they like get The Great Gatsby as it is in the book on a film? And it's like, because it's a book. It's a, <laughs> It's about the prose. That's yeah. why people love The Great Gatsby. It's like people love yeah. the prose of it. Oh, I mean, Steve, I love that yeah. book, but I'd have loved it even more if it was 90 minutes long with a score. <laughs> yeah, exactly. How old are you? Be an adult. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, there does seem to be a trend in Hollywood. And obviously there's been some great films that were great books, but there seems to be a weird I think we've done a podcast there. on this already, Steve. We probably our, have. We probably have. We, so we won't over-milk this, but... Yeah, some of the better adaptations come from books that were fairly forgettable or not not that not yeah. revered as great works of literature. Like even David Finch is really good at turning sort of airport books into really good movies. Like yeah. The Social yeah. Network was just that that book, The Accidental Billionaires, which is just kind of an account of the Facebook founding. Uh, you know, even like The Wolf of Wall Street was sort of a pulpy airport book, and just certain things of like. Yeah, certain directors sort of, Stanley Kubrick did it with a lot of like, just took a Stephen King book, right, and made it into like this really artistic film, mm. Shining. Yeah, so I don't know. But um, yeah, I suppose Lolita, that people say the book and the film are good of that. But anyway, but I digress. The book's a lot better than the film. The book is a lot better than the film. But yeah, um, I digress. The Disney stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, the Lion King one is 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 really got, some egregious i've got some egregious <laughs> problems with that one they, they they take a bit i know you're not super familiar with the cartoons george but there is literally a whole climax to that film like one of the key emotional moments of the film they can com- they completely botch and it's like it's weird because they copy loads of elements directly from the original and it's like they just to be different they plucked out one of the pivotal best moments of the film there's a bit where like Rafiki the baboon like hits him with his stick and he's like oh, that hurt and he's like yeah the part the past can hurt but he's kind of making this whole point about mm. how like um he's got the guilt about his father Simba does and there's a really emotional moment and Rafiki says this stuff to him and he runs back to Pride Rock to go and save it but they completely botch it in the live action version and there's these really strange creative decisions where they yeah, they every time they diverge, it's worse. And every time they try and copy the original, it just reminds you of the original and be like, oh yeah, that was a good moment. Yeah. But it, it's just they are like these fairly it's it's almost just people want the novelty of seeing, well, what would it look like if the Lion King had realistic looking lions? And that sort of the whole gimmick is just, oh, wouldn't that be cool? And it's like it's kind of cool for five minutes and then yeah. they lose the fun. The animation has a lot of like emotion in it and a lot of like the fun of it like Mulan more creative can't you yeah the Mulan Mulan has a silly talking dragon voiced by Eddie Murphy I mean uh yeah you sort of if you remove that from the film that's one of the things people liked in Mulan it's got great songs um yeah so we have not seen Mulan but it seems to be getting the thumbs down from the Speaking Generally podcast (laughs) 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 <laughs> that that's that's the kind of quality film reviews you get on this yeah um 
Yeah, what were we saying? Oh, yeah. Well, we were talking about how we've been, you know, keeping ourselves busy. You've been veering towards Prime over Netflix. But um, I would say in terms of cultural consumption, it's been fairly business as usual for me. So you've managed to keep it all up? Pretty much. Maybe maybe the film's dropped off for a little while, but I've uh, I've kept kept the reading up. A few TV series have been blasted through. Yeah, I've I've managed to maintain. What um what books have been piping? Is that we was that our way of kind of moving on to our little section of books and films? I guess we can. There is something I'm looking for right now as we speak, George. Because earlier when we when COVID began. I did a I did a little list of things that I posted on Instagram and it was uh you know it was sort of predictions of things that will benefit and was it the 10 countries you were going to visit during summer 2020 <laughs> yeah exactly um it was things that will benefit and lose from covid I'm literally trying to find it and struggling right now um hold on okay so we had a quick look. I can't find that particular list on my phone. What I Steve, wonder, it might have been one of those um, sort of false memories that you know a lot of people have had weird dreams during COVID. Maybe it was one of those. It was not a false memory. I wrote down a list of, of predictions of things that will win and lose. Oh, well, let me get. Let me guess. Every prediction was correct, was it? But you just can't find the list. <laughs> and I've got no proof, but they were all about <laughs> them, baby. Um, no, I was talking about like how like. Zoom would be a big winner. That one I did say, and the old Zoom stock price is roaring high. Um, Yeah, uh, like obvious ones like Zoom and tech and remote working and stuff. But, um, you know, I think the cities one is still kind of unknown. Like like cities have been predicted to be a loser. It's kind of in the balance, but it's kind of hard to kill. It's difficult, isn't it? Because I, like, anecdotally know quite a few people who are moving out of cities now into a lot, you know, quieter spots. But at the same time, that just means you could go, oh, there's an amazing apartment now available in Brooklyn that you wouldn't have been able to get your hands on before. So I think it will just, it'll be a changing of hands rather than an entire generational or cultural, you know, shift in the use of cities. I imagine it would just be younger people who are less, also less at risk of COVID will just, you know, step into yeah. the breach that's the thing as soon as a place drops in price if it's like yeah if it's manhattan or london or something a bunch of young people will be like yeah i'll take that and they're yeah. like, you know they'll, they'll sort of go if, for that because i think a lot of the people again like anecdotally it's people who didn't have much space during quite an intense lockdown that we've never experienced before if you didn't live through that yourself you don't have the trauma of of it so you go oh yeah cool nice apartment there's a park nearby i'll go and do that because i think if you're slightly optimistic you would think lockdowns won't be as serious as they were at the start of this year so yeah if you don't have that residual trauma of being locked in your apartment for six months then the apartment looks lovely yeah i think um i think the only thing that does affect it is just general continued uncertainty which makes people like hesitant to make any big purchases or sure. you know it's, like it's buy, just buying a mortgage at the moment as well right in the yeah. uk certainly like even renting i'm not signed any i'm doing like sort of airbnbs at the moment i'm reluctant to sign a 12 month thing yeah i'm like sure. i don't know what what's going to happen but but yeah um so anyway we were we were talking about all that stuff but getting getting around to all of that one of the obvious big winners is the old the old amazon prime so yeah, I guess long way of coming around. Say, what have you been rustling up on there, George? 
um well oh actually i'll start then i'll start with a film i watched on amazon prime i don't think it's available anywhere else uh i really enjoyed it a, a very good friend of ours hated it and stopped watching it about halfway through um so you know you know make make your choice based on that but it's the film columbus um mm. yeah it's directed by a guy who previously made music videos um he has a, an interesting kind of mononym what's his name uh, it's his first film i think yeah his his name is koganada i think he's a, a japanese guy um but it's set in not in columbus ohio where the philip roth novel is based but it's in like a much smaller columbus somewhere else in the u.s very small town but it's really famous one of our viewers may know of it um one of our listeners who has seen the film may know of it. Uh, it's set in a, a town called Columbus with some really incredible modernist architecture. It's like not really mm. known for much else, but the buildings are incredible. It's got these amazing churches, amazing art museums, art galleries and things. And the film is about uh, John Cho is in it. And then a young actress who I've not seen in anything else. She's fantastic in it. Really great sort of realistic, naturalistic performance. She's, staying at home uh, rather than going off and moving away from this small town to go to university she's decided to stay at home and she meets john cho who is back in town because his father is quite a famous art historian and architectural historian and they just kind of hang out together over the course of a weekend talk a lot about art talk a lot about culture um there's some kind of under underlying sort of issues about ambition and outgrowing your surroundings or staying true to your surroundings and things i thought it was really interesting very poignant really well acted um it's also got one of the the youngest culkin brother i think aaron culkin is in it he's also very good in it for quite a small part they talk about literature a lot yeah i thought it was just a really like enjoyable sort of 90 minute yeah distract like distraction of a watch with really beautiful setting and uh yeah, if you're into architecture, you'll definitely enjoy it. And if you're into culture, I think you would enjoy it. It's well worth checking out. It's called Columbus. Um, I'm just looking and I think it's, is it Columbus, Indiana? Might yeah, be that. yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, that looks, uh, that looks cool. I've never heard of that. Um, yeah, I'd, be, if you were, I'd be very surprised if you didn't enjoy it, particularly if you get, you know, through the first kind of 40 minutes. Yeah. Uh, no, that, that looks up my street, actually, so... I'll pop that on the list. Um, very nice. Uh, have I been... What have I trawled through? Um, I, I watched a film uh, that I've been told to watch several times, but have never watched. Uh, a few more years older, but it was Manchester by the Sea. Oh, yeah. Very good. Uh, yeah, very the enjoyable. Fr- the friend of ours who dismissed Columbus as Manchester by the Sea is his favourite film, so... Yeah, that's that. I mean, that's a big shout, but um, but yeah, really, uh, really enjoyable. Sort of nicely, really nicely paced film. I think it's like, yeah, um, yeah. It, it's not like over dramatic, but it has moments of drama in it. But yeah, just a just a very sort of moving drama of a uh, a guy who ends up having to take care of. Is it his brother's kid? Um, I can't remember this. I think it's his brother. I think it's his brother's uh, brother's son, and his brother dies, and he ends up having to take sort of parental control of him. But he's got 
some problems of his own and some drinking issues and uh, some past problems with an ex. But it's just, yeah, a very moving, realistic, uh, yeah, sort of well-acted drama. I really enjoyed it and thought it was a... Yeah, it was a definitely, very, definitely worth watching. Very worthwhile watch. And Casey Affleck really uh, knocking it out of the park. He's great in... Um, have you seen The Assassination of Jesse James? No, no, oh, Jameson that, keeps telling me to watch that. That's brilliant. It, not to, to hijack a recommendation, but that's from what, maybe 2007, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, and it's Casey Affleck and Brad Pitt. Brad, in a very kind of low-key role, was definitely one of the better films of that decade, right up there with the best westerns of that decade. Um, beautiful, like incredible cinematography, another really well-paced film. Um, yeah, a like one of the better films that's slipped under the radar for sure. I'd highly recommend that film. You would certainly enjoy it. That's a weird one. Cause some people who like, I've heard plenty of people anecdotally say they really enjoy that film and it sort of has a quite an average, like Rotten Tomatoes ranking. But mm. the people I know who have seen it have said like, Oh, it's great. You really should watch that. Um, yeah, but it only has like a 77% on Rotten trust, Tomatoes. Trust your friends and not an algorithm, I would say. In well, the face of Amazon Prime. I don't think Eric Schmidt at Google wants to hear that. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Harder uh, to monetize. Yeah. You know, I thought about the Amazon algorithm. It never says to you, hey, you know, you seem to watch a lot of this stuff. Maybe you need to do something Stop. different for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you read too, ma- too many of these books and you need to... Try going outside. Get some fresh <laughs> yeah. air. Not, it's not your friend, is it? No. Um, but uh, yes, uh, I will definitely... Uh, I'll, I'll keep that on my list as it already was. Um, a TV show I want to talk about, George, because we've both watched it all now. It's new. It's fresh. It's Devs. Oh, yeah, lovely. Um, me and my brother kind of got really hooked on that over the last couple of weeks, and we just finished the last episode a few nights ago. It's um, good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's very good. It's um, it's one, I wasn't sure if they were going to stick the landing, but it actually I quite, uh, it, it ended in an unusual place, but an interesting one that actually kind of raised. I think it ideas. was... Um, an ending that was appropriate for how his other films have ended, right? It's the same guy who made Ex Machina and Annihilation, and they both end in slightly unexpected ways, but thematically consistent with what's gone before. And I would say that was true of Devs too. Yeah, it was quite nice. The ending sort of raised new ideas and questions and and kind of gave you something to chew on, but but not in a cheap way of, you know, at first I was like, are they just going to go for everything, just sort of going weird and having no, mm. you know, just kind of let's for the sake of it, kind of do a bit of a magical, strange ending. Yeah. So, but the premise of the show is, is without spoiling anything, is like a big, big tech company that, um, what's his name? the actor out of um, Parks and Recreation. It's Ron Swanson, isn't it? <laughs> Ron, Ron Swanson. Nick Offerman. Uh, yeah, Nick Offerman's like this eccentric head of a, a big, big tech company. And uh, they have a very mysterious part of the company for the elite called Devs, uh, where there is a... Is it giving away sort of talk about what Devs... Probably is, yeah. Probably is. Okay, well, anyway, lots of the show is about questions of free will and... 
you know, big sort of metaphysical questions of fate and stuff. And uh, it's yeah, only it's eight episodes, I think, isn't it? Maybe it's ten a, episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's like a tech thriller, and I I love those series that are all contained in the the mini series itself, where yeah. it's not like the end of season one now. Yeah. Here's um, I would say it feel, there's maybe a couple of episodes, maybe episodes two and three or three and four that feel slightly baggy. I reckon it could have been chopped down a little bit. Um, there were some issues with pacing for me, but in general, I thought it was fantastic. Well, fantastic, but very, very good and well worth a watch as a self-contained piece. Yeah, that that's definitely the thing I had. You you've got to be you've got to be okay with it having its. It has a very gradual unfolding. It's not trying to grip you constantly with like big cliffhangers and mm. you know it has it has great moments, but. It does take its time. It's uh, an ideas piece, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. And and there's like a lot of mood and atmosphere, and you know, it's uh, it, it it really takes its time letting the story unfold instead of yeah. just like laying out a premise for you. But if you're okay with that, I agree with you. At times, it gets a bit baggy and artsy for its own good, but it does uh it does come together in a really nice way. So yeah. the girl really- the girl in it as well, she's very good and she's also she plays the kind of weird, slightly metallic ballet dancing alien at the end of Annihilation. Um so he he keeps it oh. in house. But I think she's trained as a ballerina and that, that comes really? across more in Annihilation than this. But this is probably one of her main like full on lead acting roles. I thought she was very good in it. Yeah, just a, a very solid techie thriller ideas piece. <laughs> yeah. I, I was kind of like, did you see the first season of Westworld? Yeah, first season really enjoyed, and then I've not watched any more of it because I've not. Had Same with things. me, because I almost feel like it was it was a perfect ending, and I just didn't. I That's didn't enough, hung, isn't it? I didn't hunger for any more. I thought they've completed the circle of the story. The whole thing has been told really well in this season and i, well, I it also ends a lot like ex machina ends doesn't it with uh with ai heading out into the world i would say it's yeah yeah similar um, vibe it asks a lot of questions as to what will happen and i think you'd be better off thinking about them yourself yeah it was just it was just like i don't need any more trips to westworld now to see people <laughs> doing fake gunfights it was just like that's that's great i'm done yeah um, and never touched it again yeah uh yeah so oh so i'm dead. glad i'm glad you enjoyed that um another film i watched steve i've got one more film and half the tv series that i've watched so far the film i watched a couple of months ago um sort of the absolute opposite of a techie thriller is two days and one night it's either french or belgian i think the director's a belgian but it's set and cast Maybe it's set in Belgium, but with a French cast. It's Mar- uh, Marie and Cotillard in it. Uh, and she plays, it, it's set across the span of two days and one night. She works in a, like a sort of manufacturing warehouse in a rural or semi-industrial middle of nowhere part of either Belgium or France and has been laid off from her job on the Friday by a kind of vote among the staff and she petitions her manager to give her the weekend to see if people will be willing to vote again for her to have her job back by the Monday morning if she can get enough people to vote for her and it's just about her and her husband and her family trying to to deal with that it's it's really good she's fantastic in it she's not a kind of glamorous movie star in it at all it looks so kind of down 
down to earth, realistic, and it is quite tense. It's it's done really well. The acting's fantastic. So obviously, it's subtitled if you don't speak French. But um, yeah, a fantastic film. It's possibly her best performance. I think she won an Oscar for something else, La Vie en Rose, I think. But um, yeah, really good. Highly recommended. It comes up on a lot of best of the century lists and I'd not really investigated it before because it was quite hard to find but I think it was on BBC iPlayer and I uh, grabbed the opportunity with both hands and watched it and yeah really enjoyed it and would recommend what's that one called two days one night two days one night I have seen that on some of those best of the decade lists. yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely worth a watch there's, there's some random ones that come up on those lists again and again that I haven't seen. Like that that Taiwanese one, Yee Yee, comes up a lot. Yeah, yeah, I've not seen that. Haven't seen that. And that Hong Kong one, In the Mood for Love. That's really seen. good. That's yeah. really beautiful, actually. Really good. I'll uh, pop those on. Um, uh, let's see. Are there any... I'm trying to think. Mo- I don't know if I've seen movies I really loved. I've seen... a. One that I sort of found disappointing was <laughs> The Lighthouse, the Robert Eggers film. Have you seen that? Oh, no. Is that the black and white Patterson? Yeah, Patterson, Patterson and Willem yeah. It looked really interesting, was it, it not? It, it is interesting. And it had, it's almost like, I think the first half is better. The second half goes off the rails a bit. Uh, it, it doesn't go anywhere as interesting as it promises in mm. the early parts, I think. Okay. It's... Um, yeah. There's some really good character stuff with Defoe and Pattinson, and it's the whole film is just them two together in this sort of rainy, dreary island uh, with a lighthouse. But um, yeah, it, it it's almost it's almost like a play, but it it's weird that that guy also made The Witch, and that's another film where there's really good moments in The Witch, and yet I think as a whole piece it doesn't really come together for me. It kind mm. of, it kind of ends up not really being about much in the end. Like, I don't know if there's as much substance as style to his films. Um, I think they try and do these big sort of biblical themes and try and take on kind of reinterpretations of classics. But I don't know, both of those so far, he's sort of, to some people, he's like a, you know, he's like a real visionary. And I think, I think he's got a great directorial style. I think he's got a really great mood, I don't feel like both of those films add up to a lot okay. by the end. Um, have yeah. you seen The Whip? Either? No, I haven't. I'd heard quite good things, but... Yeah. Again, it is, it is good. It sort of has a balmy ending. And again, it's like, yeah, just, just both. I don't, I don't think I like five-star knockouts that some people do. Um, yeah, I kind, of, I kind of admire them without being that enamoured of them. Sure, um, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, but yeah, the, the Witch is worth a watch. Uh, but one, uh, what was a film I was into? I did watch, uh, went back, George, to an old classic I hadn't seen, uh, the Brando performance in The Last Tango in Paris. I've never seen that myself. Um, erotic, sort of <laughs> dark, dark, erotic 70s drama. Perfect for uh, you. Very 70s in that I think there's a lot of people have talked about this, but a lot of those movies where there was a, a trend towards, I don't want to say bleak, but they were sort of self-consciously quite dark. Is everything just uh, kind of filmed and looks a bit brown? 
a little bit yeah, looks a little bit brown yeah a bit brownish um you know people say about a lot of the new the new hollywood at that time whether it was brian de palma scorsese people like that there was almost a trend towards nihilism and quite dark bleak endings and things like that in those films hmm. um but uh yeah it, it definitely has a lot of those fingerprints all over it but it kind of has the best of those as well because it it does depict this I mean, a film that nowadays would be, it actually stands up for still being quite shocking. And the this kind of very strange relationship that forms between two strangers. And, Things get buttery, uh, do they? The, but, the infamous butter scene. Yeah. It, it would, yeah, it would still be quite shocking today. And you can't, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. A film made that long ago, um, you know, older man, Marlon Brando with this younger woman, and they don't tell each other their names and they just have like purely sexual relationship in Paris. And, you know, there's a lot of like, you know, he's running from his past and yeah, it's, it, but it was, it's very captivating and um, yeah, got some really, some really sort of poignantly beautiful moments, even though it has these sort of also filthy mm. erotic, filthy yeah. erotica. Um, Is Brando yeah. good in it? Brando's great in it, yeah. yeah. Um, they're both great in it, and it's uh, just as a you know, it's just it's just if you if there's a really good Brando performance you haven't seen, it's sort of always a treat. Worth a watch, yeah. Yeah, it's like oh, I I haven't seen Brando do it. It's quite vulnerable for a brand. I don't know what your reputation of Brando is, but it's quite a vulnerable performance mm. in a lot of ways as well. And uh, cool, yeah, I I enjoyed it. Lovely. Um, well, okay, then the, I've got. I've got a couple of books, but should we, should we save books for, for after visuals? I'm halfway through having started watching it last night and being sucked into it. I think it's absolutely fantastic so far. The, the HBO Watchmen TV series, have you watched it? Oh, no, but I'm glad to hear you. Well, who, uh, who, who watches The Watchmen, Steve? I'm watching The Watchmen at the moment. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Um, I think maybe we've talked about this previously. I don't really ever read graphic novels, but I read Watchmen last year and really enjoyed it. And this is just fantastically done. It's, well, thus far anyway, it's a sequel set in the same world, but I think you probably could watch it if you hadn't watched the graphic novel, but you maybe would feel a little bit out of touch with everything. But it, it's its own and quite self, completely self-contained, but it's its own story that that does exist. And the the happenings of the graphic novel and i suppose the film adaptation loom fairly large in the background but you could you could watch it as a standalone and just accept that this world is as it is but fantastically acted um i think it's oh she won the maybe supporting or best actress for when bill street could talk she's the one of the main detectives in it it's fantastic her name escapes me at the moment um but obviously clearly a great pedigree there um the music in it's been brilliant like really skewed to my taste but done really well it's just it looks really cool and i'm not like a big advocate of that i don't find too much stuff cool and it is it's just done really really well and um self-aware sort of self I don't know, scathing? I guess it's like a lot of the best aspects of Damien Lindelof is his name, the guy who did Lost without being super baggy, I guess, because he's got a, a pre-existing world to work in. He doesn't have to lose himself in the world building that 
maybe kind of he lost track of with lost so yeah just really enjoying it i'm probably going to blitz i think there's only eight or nine episodes i'll probably blast them all in another sitting tonight because it it's fantastic uh that's brilliant my my i think my brother sung its praises as well but um yeah i've always wanted more uh of the watchman story because you only have alamore only did that right and yeah it's such a good alternate history and alternate world that it's you do almost want more watchman adventures and it is i think it was from late last year and some oh some of it is super i don't know if it's not necessarily prescient in the correct way that they were talking about with like viruses and stuff but you know it's like masks save lives has been said several times and then there's so much stuff about you know the role of the police the role of different racial communities and how they interact in a contemporary america or their equivalent of a contemporary america it watching it now it almost feels like it's hit a nerve you know with the events of 2020 more so than it would have done if if i'd have watched it before christmas so yeah um yeah definitely check it out and if anyone out there has read watchman and hasn't watched it yet i would encourage encourage you to do so um yeah and it it, it so it just it jumps ahead right as if like yeah, it's, it's just now it's got yeah. flashbacks and other bits and pieces, but the right. story is set in a kind of 2019 equivalent. And do they just keep extrapolating with completely alternate history? They just like... Yeah, it's it follows on from what happens in the novels, but then it also pads out some earlier stuff like in the 20s to establish some other characters. But yeah, um, check it out. That's cool. Um, I'm actually a... It's got... It's got some problems, but I'm actually a defender of the, the Zack Snyder film of The Watchmen. Never um, seen it, so I, I can't comment. But yeah, I've, I've heard some quite negative reviews about it. I just think a film probably isn't long enough to do what you need to do with that world. It probably isn't. Um, yeah. Um, uh, other I thing also, I've been... I also say that as someone who doesn't really care at all for superhero stuff barely seen a marvel film not really interested and this does sort of all the superhero dynamics without any of the like pomp and sort of self-congratulatory aspects of them so yeah if you're a cynic of those kinds of films as well i think this would still be well up your street um quality that's that's going to be my next series i've decided that um now i've finished devs uh i've been i've been sort of I know you don't believe in guilty pleasures, George. Um, I don't even know if it is a guilty pleasure, but it's sort of one that I wouldn't have expected to enjoy as much as I have been. Through lockdown, I've been sort of indulging in The Crown, George. <laughs> I um, see, I've not watched it yet, and I, I feel like I should. I've dis- Elizabeth and I have decided to save it until we're in America and we need a kind of fix of home. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's anything to yeah. be guilty about there. No, it's uh, it's very like rich and sumptuous, and it's like revels in the actual, you know, enjoyment of the the visuals and the pomp, and you know, they really like go to town with how it looks and feels of the period, and but it but it does actually like it draws the characters really well. It makes you sort of get into, you know, the young Philip and Elizabeth and the different characters around them, and you feel like you get a lot of the context even if you're not British, you get a lot of the context for sort of why these, the relationships and the decisions matter. And, you know, the Churchill played by John Lithgow is really good. And yeah, it's, uh, it, I was just surprised. I thought it would be, it has moments of being sometimes a little 
a little hokey or occasional bits of dialogue where you think, hmm, that's a bit much. But but actually it's it's quite startling how well it's all pulled off. And they do just have some of these just individual episodes that are about small chapters in the history that I wasn't really aware of that, you know, I'm sure certain things have been, there's there's historical, you know, changes at parts, but certain things you're like, oh, I wasn't aware that happened during the post-war. Mm-hmm. Or I wasn't aware that was a crisis or an issue. Yeah, so that's great. I've uh, I've always been impressed that they've, was every two seasons, they've changed the whole cast as the, obviously as the people age. And I think that's quite an impressive feat you know, of just keeping crews together and then move, moving them on. Like, that's in, an interesting way of making something. Yeah, so I think they are now, if I'm not wrong, I think they're now doing the sort of Diana period. Yeah, um, I think that's going to be the end, isn't it? That'll be the end, yeah. Um, yeah, so it'll be, uh, I guess I guess the COVID season, not much will happen. Yeah. So. Markle's out in the cold. <laughs> it'll just be about, about Harry and Markle in LA. <laughs> <laughs> They can play um, themselves, I suppose. Sometimes it would be this. Be perfect, it, would be, it would be this nice full circle, though, because a lot of the first season has um, uh, what's his name uh, who abdicated uh, Edward. Yeah, uh, it has a, a lot of him being quite bitter and resentful. You know, after his abdication, right. where he's, he's sort of chewed out of the inner circle. So there would be this sort of weird history repeating itself thing. Yeah because obviously he married an american and had to abdicate and yeah. uh well because she was divorced but yeah, was, uh, as well. yeah same for harry yeah. same for megan <laughs> is she a divorcee yeah all right yeah it, it that, that so that would be this nice sort of full circle thing but but you know it's probably getting a bit we don't know how that story is going to end yet um so there we've got some of that going the crown it's Lovely. been a, it's been a nice a comfort fabulous kind of um Okay, Steve, well, I don't have any more visuals, but on the bookie front, which obviously the Amazon Prime guys are making happen for me as well, although I do often buy secondhand. So, uh, you know, Bezos isn't making much of a profit, but then neither is the author. So I don't know if that makes me a good guy or a bad guy, really. But um, the first of the books I've really loved during the lockdown period is a novel called Old Filth by Jane Gardam. I think it's from about two thousand, <laughs> from 2005, before you get... Before you get ideas, Steve, filth stands for failed in London, comma, try Hong Kong. And it's about a guy who is a a QC and a judge, and it follows his life from a little boy kind of born during the Raj. So it probably would map against the crown, really. Um, And he becomes a QC in London and then moves out to Hong Kong and sets up a practice there. It's quite a short novel. It's about 250 pages, but it just fantastically draws the characters so beautifully um really well written kind of evokes an old world englishness uh, and it flits between him as an old man living in devon or somewhere in south of england now in his sort of old age and then his his life as he's grown and um all the antics he got up to but it's just really beautiful um quite funny a bit evocative of something like edward st Auburn but not maybe not as serious. Um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. It was very sort of fun and distracting, but very literary at the same time. It was short. I think it was shortlisted for the Booker Prize. It seems like she's another one of these authors. Another example I can think of is Penelope Lively, who won the Booker Prize for Moon Tiger. But if you look at any of her other novels, they look like really kind of 
like dumbed down chick lit and i think it's just the the cover designer at her publisher is not doing her any favors and i think that may have happened with this old filth as well but um they were republished a couple of years ago with much more appealing jackets but there's a trilogy um that was the first one from from his perspective the second novels from his wife's perspective and then there's a third and i have both of those on my to read pile now but um yeah a novel i hadn't heard too much about and really really enjoyed and there's always a great payoff when it's you know expectation and reality or whatever but um yeah highly recommended interesting um well i uh should i go for a fiction then i'll go for a fiction george this is one you recommended to me that i read over lockdown and it was um leaving the atocha station by ben lerner lovely did we i don't know if we talked about this on the podcast I think um, I may have mentioned it on the podcast, but we've we've certainly championed him on here. Yeah, we probably have. Um, I I'm a bit iffy on the other Ben Lerner novels. I have a kind of, you know, I, I that's another one. I I admire them a lot without especially liking them. But yeah. this one, this one, I was a much bigger fan of. It's kind of his first novel, but um, he uh, it's it's very poetic, but it's also kind of quite like the plot is kind of a bit insubstantial, right? It's him as a sort of exchange student hanging out in Spain, um, sort of, you know, looking at art, smoking a lot, being sort of falling for a girl, sort of like a lot of standard sort of young yeah. man novel. It always, stuff. when I think of it, I don't know if this is completely wrong, but maybe because I just watched the film at the same time as I read the book, but it makes me think of the Darjeeling Limited by um, Wes Anderson because it's yeah a bit kind of aimless and pottering around in a country where you sort of culturally don't belong. And then there's this moment of quite intense tragedy and it reframes how you feel about it. And I felt like that about Darjeeling Limited. Yeah, actually that's, that's quite a good description. Yeah. Um, And, uh, yeah, I just it just it just had a lot of the things I really like in those sorts of novels. Like those novels can sometimes feel if they're too long, they can feel like like very baggy and drifting. And okay, this is getting boring now, but like it's this, kind of a nice like this podcast, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice lean length. Uh, you so you kind of stay. It doesn't outstay its welcome. It's really he <laughs> okay. is he, he is a poet, so he has a very like lyrical way of writing. Um, yeah, he's just very, he's just very, very linguistically gifted. And uh, yeah, I just thought this uh, yeah, is quite really short, isn't it? It's like 150 pages or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so don't go for it if you're looking for a sort of plotty, you know, <laughs> uh, gripping sort of plots. But, but if you're just looking for something to have a little quiet read of uh enjoyable stuff um i also read a non-fiction that i was very enamored of called dreaming the beatles uh probably the best book on i don't read many books on music i'm generally not that interested in the inner workings of bands and mm. you know musicians and things like that i find i yeah I'm, I'm just it's just not where my interests are that much but i'm a big beatles guy i love the dynamics between the sort of, I can sort of never get enough fodder of little trivia about Lennon and McCartney and just little bits about how certain Beatles songs were written or the thoughts behind the albums. And this one's written by, I think it won a music prize or the author did. Um, it was, uh, 
he's a, he has a really good way of he's he doesn't like tell the story of the Beatles that people have heard a hundred times. It's more some chapters focus on one of the members, some focus on a particular album, Sergeant Pepper, and you know, or a chapter focuses on all the the best and worst covers of Beatles songs. And he's called Rob Sheffield. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, music journalist at Rolling Stone. And uh, yeah, it's just a really good telling of the characters, the kind of different philosophies at work, how it actually, how the work actually got done in a lot of ways. And like Paul was the kind of driving force, but, you know, the kind of different creativity clashes between the band and how they broke up and stuff. But it's just a really good, it's really the kind of subtitle is it's about looking at the story of one band, how it changed the world and why they, their influence seems to continue to grow over the decades rather than diminish. And, yeah, uh, that's yeah, cool. So it's, it's kind of an examination of a phenomenon and why were they such a standout phenomenon above other, even other of their contemporaries that were popular at the time. That's great. I, I have a book on my shelf by Craig Brown, who I've recommended for his book about Princess Margaret, which ties in nicely with The Crown, where in that he, it was called 101 Glimpses of Princess Margaret, and it's just these, you know, 101 different vignettes. And his latest book is almost exactly the same setup, but with the Beatles, I think it's called One, Two, Three, Four. And it's definitely going to be a lot, having not read it yet, I'm sure it'll be a lot more humorous than the one you're talking about there. And I think that'll paint quite an interesting picture yeah, a bit more of like a kaleidoscope of just odd little tidbits. So that would definitely be one to check out as well. But this this sounds really good for being a bit more um, academic without being dry, I guess, which is kind of what's best about music journalism. Yeah, and, and sometimes you just want the actual, you want the nuggets without, you don't really want another like full biography of the band, yeah. right? You're like, you don't want to trawl through the entire history of each individual member you know the the street they were born on and everything but you kind of want the actual the actual nuggets about the work itself which i like people actually deconstructing um oh, that's cool yeah so is it new uh no it's a few years old but it's it's in the sort of 2000 cool and maybe eight or nine or something like yeah that. um yeah so um that's uh I mean, should we should we call it there, or do you want to keep going? I think we should. I mean, I've got just the book I'm reading currently. It's kind of um, I'd I'd certainly recommend for being maybe the opposite of why you recommended the Ben Lerner because if you do want a very well written but very plot driven novel, um, it's called "And Now We Shall Be Entirely Free." It's by Andrew Miller who in the UK won the Costa Prize for his novel Pure, which was a very good book about building a cemetery in Paris. This is set in the kind of Pride and Prejudice, Jane Austen era, um, like kind of, uh, yeah, soldiers returning from the Napoleonic Wars and then trying to lose themselves back in the UK. And it's it's essentially a manhunt through kind of Jane Austen England. And it's, uh, it's really well done, really good. Um, a, a page turner and very well written. Um, and in that very, you know, if you've read Jane Austen novels, it, it is in that that period, that dress, that style, not style of writing, but kind of atmosphere. Um, but yeah, with real like intense and quite violent thriller happening at the same time. So uh, certainly worth checking out if you're looking for a kind of a slightly more highbrow plot driven, not quite beach read, but um, 
yeah, a page turner. It's one I'd recommend. Uh, wonderful. Um, well, now now we'll call it. Now we'll call it. All right. Um, yeah, we've got more books we can talk about, but I think we call it here, and we'll save some for for future episodes. We're back, uh, though, aren't we, Steve? We're back with a bang, uh, and there's a lot more to come. We're going to gather up some topics for you really run the gamut of all the things we like to do some hard-hitting economic analysis Hmm. um some deconstruction of postmodernist art um probably chat about video games at some point that's a bit more Um, (laughs) uh we'll do it all um all right thanks very much do subscribe if you enjoy this on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and uh, leave a lovely review if you're feeling really generous on iTunes because uh, it helps helps people rustle us up from all the other drops on that platform. <laughs> um, all right. Thanks a lot, George. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.